Ladies and gentlemen, the U.S. Army Band playing the Star Spangled Banner. You're listening to RadioFreeSatan.com. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by the one, the only, the agent provocateur you've come to know and love, Darren Deicide. How are you, my man? I'm doing great. Where's the big smashing round of applause? I... Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not can, so smashing, but I'll take I it. I can edit that in post. <laughs> well, it is June 30th, and we have got a fantastic show for you. This is actually going to be our sort of... Fourth of July show, so at the top of uh, the show before um, that little Radio Free Satan blurb that I run at the beginning of all my shows, you heard the um, national anthem, and we are going to be talking about the Fourth of July. We're going to be talking about America and uh, Satanism, and uh, really just kind of what's going on on American soil, and we're going to try to keep the theme here around. That's right. Patriotism, Americanism, Satanism, everything that we know and love. Uh, everything that we are. If you're, uh, you know, in America. <laughs> if you're not, you may not enjoy this episode as much. I don't know, you may. I mean, we'll banter. We'll try to make it entertaining. But, um, well, we could all, you know, every country's got their own birthday, so, you know. <laughs> should, we do, should we do, like, a British birthday show sometime? Sure, yeah. I, I don't even know how to find a British birthday, but you could find a, a date that's meaningful, maybe? Sure. Okay. It would end up being like a soccer championship or something. <laughs> or the date fish and chips was invented. Oh, God. We're such Americans. Look at us. We're just showing our stripes right now. Yeah. All right, well, because we're going to be talking about it, do you have any Fourth of July plans? 
Me? Oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna be whooping it up for America's birthday. Um, so there's a big event in New York. Uh, you know, I'm a swing dancer, so I'm gonna be cutting some rug for America. Nice. Yeah, there's gonna be a big event. That's a sex oh. thing or that's a dance thing? <laughs> that's that's a dance thing. Oh, okay. The sex thing, though, you know, maybe there's something going on for Fourth of July in the sex world that I don't know about. Nobody <laughs> sent me the invite, though. <laughs> a lot of fireworks placed <laughs> in precarious holes. <laughs> yes, different type of fireworks. No, but <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna be doing that. It's a dance is a vice event. It's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be in Brooklyn, and I think that since uh. One of the most Americana things out there, that one of the, the truest American inventions of rock and roll we have. It's going to be a big rockabilly rock and roll show. Oh, yes. I'll be That's... throwing chicks around for America. <laughs> so when you're doing these, do you, do you have one dance partner you work with, or are you pretty interchangeable with anyone? Well, I, I have one that I teach with, because it's, it's sort of a side gig for me I teach uh, swing dancing and lindy hop um, but I, I can dance with anybody who knows how to follow wow ladies you hear that <laughs> and your applications <laughs> you do what I say no <laughs> maybe, maybe not that aggressively it's a little bit more graceful than that <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah we usually do um, just let off fireworks in the yard and then you know for the kids and, and my son loves to help with that and, you know sometimes we have friends over or we go to a friend's house but we're close enough to downtown Salt Lake where we get to see the cities both West Valley City and Salt Lake City's um, firework display just you know in our sky and so we just sort of relax at home I'm not a big crowd fan and so I hate going to those events in person but you know because we're close enough it's it's nice get tore up by bugs while we watch the, the fireworks explode and I try to explain to my children why I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fireworks give, get you all misty-eyed? No. <laughs> but yeah, it's just that idea that trying to explain to them you know, what patriotism is and, and what it means, the 4th of July and how it relates to their uh, everyday life and sort of the little traditions, the little rituals that Americans have like the um, standing and putting your hand over the heart as the uh, flag is raised or as it passes you by in a parade and stuff like that it's always uh, it's always interesting trying to explain it to someone who has no frame of reference at all yeah you know zero context um, mm -hmm. I imagine it would be the same as trying to explain it to like an alien or a foreigner because they're <laughs> the same thing to me <laughs> they're just <laughs> you come from other place than here you know nothing you know that thing <laughs> but um, yeah no I'm, I'm a big fan of the 4th of July just because of the stereotypical um, uh, lots of consumption of barbecue and liquor, I'll just say alcohol, you know, putting it all under that tent. And family, you know, spending it with the family unit, which is probably the biggest thing in, that, you know, growing up I did. Did you ever have any um, traditions like that with your family? Uh, yeah, we used to do the the whole barbecue thing. We never we we kept everything kind of low key. Chicago always had fireworks and everything. Hmm. Um, you know, I I I guess I I do the same thing. I don't you know big crowds and fireworks again. I'm with you in the same boat. I don't necessarily want to be getting chewed up by mosquitoes watching fireworks, but or people hang around yeah. people too much. <laughs> but um. But yeah, you know, when it's America's birthday, I, I definitely look to indulge freely and, and be happy about being 
an American and being in America because there are a lot of reasons to be happy about that. Yeah, in fact, I mean, maybe not in a direct way, but in an indirect way, your, your entire segment talking about world news should inform people, you, you know, broadly, that it is a lot better, even in the worst position that we are in, in America, which I think we're in a pretty damn bad one right now. It's still better than a lot of these other places that are continually at war and have continual terrorist threats um, that are followed through. You know, I mean, death all around you uh, as as sort of a daily thing. Yeah, you know, the, a lot of the left wingers, like the radical left, they often uh, will sort of compare the state of America to some sort of fascistic sort of state of affairs. And really, when when you know, it's such a crock of shit because if you look at what America is and the sort of freedoms that are protected and enjoyed and the privileges that we have it's really just unparalleled in in the world I think and you know those those left-wingers when they make those comparisons they're either a showing their ignorance about what's going on in the rest of the world or b just being privileged brats <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, I can't tell which one it is it's probably a little both <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's weird. We have this sort of civilian populace here in America that really are just they're raised on the sacrifice of others, and so we have no first-hand experience of what actual real life is like. You know, we live in this sort of um, uh, capitalist society where we have an overabundance of food, cheap, cheap food and water and clean water and we're able to say and do virtually anything at any time express ourselves in virtually any way we want we have so few restrictions and yet you would think by watching the news or by listening to talking heads that it is literally you know nazi germany that we're under <laughs> and and we can't go outside and we can't trust our neighbor and it's it's yeah. this weird weird um, weird dichotomy that, that it seems like most of the world is caught in, or most of Americans are sort of trapped in. Yeah, and you know that debate is really again it strikes to like the the freedom that we have, and it's it's good and it's important. I'm not I don't resent that debate because you know we're probably going to touch on it a little bit, but it's it's sort of it's sort of the the foundation of the health of our republic is the ability to be able to look at the restrictions that do exist, criticize them, talk about them, what are the boundaries. And that's that's part of having a free press, yeah. and it's really like you know a press is only as a, as relevant as it's talking about these these really important issues about where we ought to be restricted or not restricted, and so really it's just you know even that is a testimony to our freedom. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, before we dive really deep into the discussions, uh, you know, we are going to be touching on some of this stuff later on. Um, I did want to bring up that I was <laughs> driving to my local homebrewing supply store today with my daughter. It's the sort of thing she always loves coming with me, which is cool. Wait, you know, she gets to wait. Hold on, Adam. Can you hear this? Well, there we go. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, whoa! What? What are you drinking? What's the brand type? <laughs> now I'm about to. This, you know, I, when you said we're doing a Fourth of July episode, I was <laughs> myself. I gotta have a beer. This is important. Indeed. Yeah, this is a great American tradition. I got Long Trail Ale here. You like Long Trail Ale? You know this one? I'm not entirely sure I'm familiar with it. I may is have it, tried it at some time, but I've never, like, purchased it. Uh, it's a Long Trail Brewery over in Vermont. 
Oh, nice. I would have drank one of my own brews, but I kind of got some just, just kind of conditioning right now, so I'm not quite ready to... I um, yeah I, I hate that period where you're like I know it's gonna be good <laughs> but I can't touch it yet because <laughs> it's not quite ready yet. Well, uh, even worse is the fact that I just brewed something up and I'm pretty sure it's infected, so I'm gonna oh, have to dump shit. it down the tubes. Yep. No, that's the worst feeling ever. I know. I'm gonna have to dig up a track of the funeral trumpet while I dump <laughs> it down the, the drain. You know. <laughs> Taps will silently be echoing in the halls. Um, yeah, I'm actually drinking my improved White House honey ale, and this is uh, uh, altered ingredients from Barack Obama's own recipe that he reinstated. And this, it seems, in my opinion, is the the only hands down wonderful thing that Barack Obama did without argument. Um, <laughs> is bring back the White House brewing. I mean, this is a tradition <laughs> that goes to our founders that had been stopped for, you know, a very, very long time. And uh, he brought it back. So if nothing else, he has that to his credit. Yes. And, and who stopped it? The goddamn Christians in this country. <laughs> I'm serious. It's, it was the temperance movement at the turn of the century, which was mainly spearheaded by evangelical Christians and, and Puritans, people of the Puritan stripe within the, uh, the conservative the Christian world who, who mounted that attack and managed to get the Volstead Act through. And we've been just stripping away all that crap ever since they, they succeeded. So yeah, kudos to the White House. Cheers to them. It's, <laughs> I mean, and that's sort of a testament to, I mean, I, either the power of the masses with religion or the ignorance of the masses um, concerning all things because it's because of a vocal minority that they're able to shift political agenda and that's stunning to me mm -hmm. that such a small part of the populace can affect everyone so dramatically yeah and you know it's really interesting too because like you see it at you know the recent doma decision mm -hmm, the defense yeah. of marriage act uh, you see the people who who objected to the decision that was made and there you know there are all these sort of right-wing republican types and uh, i think bachman called a press conference for them to speak their side <laughs> and the entire time that they spoke their entire argument was well, we have a democratic mandate. The reason that DOMA should exist is because DOMA represents, it was democratically voted upon, it's what people want. But the whole point of the Supreme Court is to defend the Constitution against the ignorance of the masses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this, this idea, I mean, it, it amazes me now how many politicians really know so little about the Constitution the central social contract. It's almost as if it's irrelevant. And I've actually heard, I've read New York Times editorials in which people have argued that the Constitution is irrelevant now. Whoa. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting turn that it's taking. I always find it weird because with, with any argument, um, no matter what political side you're on or affiliation you hold, it we like to carp compartmentalize everything and and you can see this with religious people all the time with biblical passage they they sort of just pick and choose cherry picking these little you know verses that they want to apply carte blanche to life 
um, sometimes out of context, but just to prove their point. And, and people do that with the Constitution as well. And so you have some people saying, well, the Constitution is irrelevant if this is what um, our, our society is moving into and, and adjusting um, uh, socially approved behaviors um, and actions. But when it comes to something like um, the right to bear arms, they're staunch defenders of the Constitution. So it's like there's they, they want to ignore parts of it in favor of other parts, all the while bastardizing the entire concept as a whole, I think. Isn't that typical human behavior? It is. And it, it's actually it's tough because I as much as I rant and rave about any political leaning I may have on any given um, circumstance, I celebrate the duality of man. Like I that's what is so wonderful about us is that we can fight and argue for a side all, you know, our whole lives and then in an instant do an about face <laughs> or Wait a second yeah you like or this have, about men <laughs> have those i do I, I think it's amazing because we we lie to ourselves every single day and we sort of just pick these little parts of us that we ignore in order to continue you know, living these sort of lies i mean you could argue or i would argue that satanism itself would not have been structured without that hypocrisy in mankind's behavior. I mean, it was, it was those sort of gems that Anton LaVey witnessed um, through his carnival experience and through his um, uh, tying that with the religious uh, behaviors of those around him that helped him form those sort of seeds of Satanism. Yeah, but I also think that, that what makes Satanism unique, what makes Satanists unique, is we're trying to smash the hypocrisy yeah. by accepting what we are. Um, and, and if, yes, to some degree, the, the need for the individual to create a narrative is something important, um, but when it, it manifests into social movements, yeah. when it becomes a, a you know, a, a, a cause, cause celebre, so to speak, and becomes like uh, the, the way in which people are manipulated to enforce policies, I think we really have to put our, our crosshairs on it and take a very close look um so so i i agree and disagree with you i guess hey, that works for <laughs> I, me <laughs> i i understand the point that you're making and it is innate to to the species in a lot of ways it's i think it's how we how we understand the world um but you know i think we're what makes us different as satanists is the ability to live as honestly as possible within an understanding of what we are. Yeah. Seeing so, that and having continual um, individual development. Yes, yeah. Um, improving oneself. Um, and surprisingly, we actually started with brewing here. If, <laughs> if I can just get back to that really quick, what I wanted to touch on when we started was uh, I went to the, the, the brew store to um, do this new batch that I, I brewed today, a Pilsner that I'm very excited for. And... Um, so now my whole house is filled with those wonderful malt, uh, wort smells. Um, this can be like that all day, actually. But uh, yeah, I know it's so fantastic. Um, <laughs> but uh, on the way there, I was like just sort of sitting there, thinking my daughter, as she always does, just sort of chatters and plays with the dog in the back seat. And I thought of this wonderful commercial that I think would be very, very funny for Wart Nation. So I got home and I immediately 
uh, got my wife and my kids together and I, I put together this whole series of sequenced events and I'm like, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. When I do this, you do this. And, and we're going to make a commercial today right now. And so I have this wonderful Wart Nation commercial edited and I'm sort of editing the sound right now. Um, I stopped right before I started doing that Pilsner. But yeah, so look forward to that coming up. There's going to be uh, the very first Wart Nation commercial and I hope you like it. Um... <laughs> It's supposed to be funny, but I'll say this. It begins with me sitting on the toilet, and it ends with me drinking a beer. So, <laughs> <laughs> Just like any good day of yours, huh, Adam? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good. I'm really excited for to get feedback. You know, people are like, you're a fucking idiot. Why would you do this? Or they'd be like, oh, this is great. That's fun. Do another. <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll let uh, meritocracy take its toll and, and see what happens with that. Uh, but once again, them. once again, degrading the, the respectability of beer drinkers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my part, damn it. <laughs> um, okay, well, let me talk about the show really quick, and we'll just sort of jump into each segment as it comes here. The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be talking about um, the the article that was posted in this U.S. news page, I believe last year this time, but it was taken from Anton LaVey's column letters uh, to the devil and this is actually Satanism is Americanism so it's this sort of essay that Anton LaVey wrote that we'll be talking about briefly and there's a really really great section in it that I wanted to um, sort of uh, read out to everyone I think it's uh, Germain uh, Infernal Informant Assange no stopping publication of NSA documents so we're going to be talking about obviously um, freedom of the press in uh, the sharing of, of state secrets so to speak and New Brigade in Kentucky Not Spared. And I'm not going to be necessarily talking about this in the context of Fort Knox, Kentucky, getting like 40% cut of its um, military presence and the effects that that has on the economy, you know, around Radcliffe, Kentucky, which um, is where Fort Knox is stationed, but more in the broader context of America and its national defense and how we are paring down our numbers uh, post-9-11 uh, world. Uh, and then in the creature feature, I'm going to be talking about uh, the Man of Steel movie that was recently released. I saw it with my children, and I want to talk about that briefly, and then just sort of the idea of Superman as an American hero, which if you're familiar with the comic at all, it seems like he's been heralded as such, but we forget that he's a fucking alien from another world, which is <laughs> funny. That we just hey, 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 that's, isn't that part of America's history, too? <laughs> that's, that's actually really true, yeah. He, <laughs> he didn't come in through the, uh, <laughs> uh, through the uh, Jersey uh, immigration point, though. He came in yeah. through Kansas, but, you know, whatever. What, what, what country, or not country, what planet is he from? Yugoslavia? Cri I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though. <laughs> Crypto-Slovakia. No, it's uh, Krypton. Oh, that's right, Krypton. Yeah. Would that make him a Kryptoner, or...? He's a kryptonite. No, Kryptonian. He's a Kryptonian. I don't know. Yeah. The, the thing is, like, I, I've loved him since I was a kid, but I'm not. I've never like read all the comics or anything like that. So I'm sort of coming it not in a comic book nerd. So it, obviously, I may have listeners that are total comic book aficionados that are gonna yell at me while mustard stains, you know, permeate their t-shirts living in their mom's basement. But I have a high <laughs> view of my <laughs> listening audience. That's going to be me. <laughs> You're talking to a reformed comic nerd. Oh, no. Um, but, you know, so I'm, I'm not... 
I'm not taking it from that stance. I'm just going to take it from an entertainment stance and, you know, just my personal history with uh, the Superman comics, cartoons, comic books, and uh, coloring books, really. Uh, and I'll so, be here drinking ale and just acting like an asshole with Adam. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, so <laughs> aside from my White House uh, honey ale, I'm also drinking a little bit of uh, whiskey, which I'm very, very... Uh, this may end up being a sloppy episode at the very end, but <laughs> I'm feeling good now, and I should be feeling good for another, you know, close to an hour. So if it lasts longer than an hour, um, you know, it may get a little weird. It better not be a scotch, you Benedict Arnold. <laughs> Father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And you are the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. This is, a, as it's titled, a horn salute on Independence Day. And I assume that that first sentence is not the first paragraph, so I'll go into the, the next part there. <laughs> Satanism is Americanism. To sum up our political doctrine, Satanism is Americanism in its purest form, with only the outdated moral codes altered to fit the times, and with recognition of the fact that only if man's most basic instincts are satisfied can a nation receive his best. When it becomes common knowledge that we do not advocate or even approve of denial or desecration of such sacred American traditions as home, family, patriotism, personal pride, etc., but instead champion these things, our one-time opponents in the establishment will not have a leg to stand on. I, I do want to bring this up because I think it's so incredibly important and it flies in the face of the reality that we as a society are fed. And that is that only Christians are moral, patriotic, and family-oriented. And that if you're not a part of that, um, uh, that group, then you are a despot, you are uh, vile, you are the vermin, and you are not American. And the irony there is that Satanism <laughs> champions those things in an honest way. So unlike, and, and this sort of feeds into what we were speaking to before a little bit, unlike the Christians who will live one way, go to church and ask for forgiveness, or um, adjust their behavior, ignoring their previous behavior to get through you know, this sort of moral moment that they may be having, um, and then going back out and doing the same thing again, we... We accept that we're human beings and we have certain desires, certain needs on an individual basis and behaviors that why should we feel the guilt for? There's nothing more American than that. You are, you are literally saying to the proverbial crown, I will not stand under your shadow. I will make my own way. And we're telling the world that just because you have a certain set of morals that are dictated a certain set way doesn't mean that we are any less moral. And in fact, because we're honest about it, we're more moral. Um, yeah. You know, what we have, I think what's important 
here is the de definition of patriotism. What does it mean to be a patriot? Mm. And and they have their own definition, and we have ours. And I think that at the center of this is not allowing them to define what patriotism is. Because if they are allowed to do that, they're going to obfuscate that to mean loyalty to God and church as well. And they've been engaged in that war for years, and they're trying to always uh, slowly uh, in influence legislation to be more aligned to their sense of morality. But in actuality, their sense of morality, their ideas on legislation are entirely anti-American. Uh, they're, they're trying all the time to get benefits for church and, and religion to, to uh, blur the line, the, the wall of separation that, uh, that uh, is supposed to exist between church and state. They're always trying to tear that wall down. And they do it under the pretense of being patriotic. And that's, the, the, I think, the struggle that, that um, is, is really at the center of this, is not allowing them to do that. Because if you do study history, they're wrong. Oh, absolutely. What, and and the, here's the worst part of, of all that is that I would argue the majority of Americans now don't know that. Like, they, yeah. you know, as, as Americans, we live in our, our little ages and our little eras, and we think that everything we're told as truth has always been. And so I don't think a lot of people look back beyond that boundary of age that we were sort of raised in. So, you know, if you, if you look at our foundation as a nation, if you look even just back 100 years, 150 years and 200, um, well, you know, going back to that, uh, you're, you're going to realize that our, our country has shifted dramatically into a religious frame that ironically we started um as a big part of it on an individual basis separating ourselves from yeah. so it, it's sort of shocking and i did want to also touch on that idea of, of um the definitions of patriotism and and um one thing that that is is always in my opinion uh integral to being a patriot is and ironically also you know paying off this whole satanism is americanism idea um core to satanic values and that's question you need to question not only your your own choices and the decisions you make in your life but you need to question the government that you're a part of the society that you live in you need to question the rules that govern us because we do live in a excuse me in a, in a country where we have the ability to influence our society so you can't just sit back and accept and really that's how we have been able to uh had the conversation defined by christians is because people don't interact they just take it that's going to be the way it is and they're just going to live their life their own way and it's not going to affect them but it does end up affecting them because of their either laziness or apathy or you know what have you um i had a, a show a little while ago where i talked about controlling the conversation around um your uh, uh just just controlling your conversation you know how people see you and talk about you and your behaviors and such well we need to do that as americans as well we cannot allow those religious um in my opinion, just crazies. I mean, I can just sort of make that blanket statement. Um, 
to control the dialogue of Americanism, as they have for far too long. Um, we need to redefine what patriotism is. And that means going back to its original idea of, of questioning your government, but backing it and um, trying to make it a, a better union, a more perfect union, not accepting it as, well, we're the best, number one, in the face of all facts to the contrary. You know, <laughs> instead of just pumping your arm and wearing a flag, we need to question, talk about what our government is doing and why it's good or not good. And, and certainly some of the articles in... Uh, the informal form are going to speak to that. Yeah, you know, last time we were talking, I remember you, uh, no, it was during the gun episode. Uh, you had asked me, we, we were talking about how the average American had changed. And they had changed on um, what the expectations of the founding fathers were in the Second Amendment. The idea that, you know, with responsibility comes risks. Um, uh, with with freedom comes responsibility and risk, right. um, and that most people don't want those responsibility and risks anymore. And that I remember you asked me um, why do you think Americans have become that way, and and I went on a big tangent. I don't know. I was probably drinking beer that time, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I listened to it again, and I I just kind of kicked myself because I was like, oh wait, there is a good answer there. I think I think that. America has transformed um, in a lot of ways since its inception, and that the founding fathers really, they did see the changes happening, and they were a little concerned about it. Actually, that, that stuff is really interesting. Look at like uh, what Thomas Jefferson wrote like towards the end of his life about the state of the republic, and he was actually very cynical and was worried about things, um, and a lot of them were because they saw this creeping influence going into government at the time was mostly in uh, banking institutions. And they thought that the, that the banking institutions eventually would bankrupt the country. I mean, these guys are so smart. I almost see like, they almost like prophetically predicted what just happened recently in a lot of ways. <laughs> it's happening again too. I mean, it's... Yeah. But you know, they also just were kind of talking about the creeping interests of the private sector over government. Um, and I think that there has been a lot of effort being put into the media, especially into tailoring the American public into George Carlin talked about this a lot before he died, uh, turning them into obedient consumers whose role was to not ask questions, um, to, you know, patronize the corporations and whatever was running the country and to just shut up and sit there and not think. Um, and I think that, that the efforts that have been put into tailoring the public into that mind frame has, has largely succeeded. And it's part of the reason Americans are what they are now. I do find, even though I don't necessarily agree with a lot of political leanings, but recently since um, Barack Obama has been elected, it does, at least to me, seem like the the national dialogue has elevated, and it really did, in my opinion, start with uh, Bush too. But about the general concern for the direction of our country, and the arguments may be ridiculous at times and absolutely absurd, but the fact that there's that discussion, that there's that concern, that that there are people who have not taken 
as much uh, attention to the government before or maybe to their country before and are now, that's encouraging to me. Um, and, and yes, it can affect our, uh, it can affect our economy. It can affect the um, peace of mind, air quotes, of our uh, citizens. I prefer to live in a country where people have a little bit of tension riding throughout reality because that means that that we we care about what's going on and that we're concerned and that we want to see it pushed in our own direction whatever that direction may be for that person that's a good thing that's the point of what we started it's you like what you were just speaking to it's when we don't care anymore and we just sit back and we just sort of ride out don't question and we we're just waiting on the next new mini series to come out or you know, play the next video game that comes out or watch the next movie, that's when we have real problems. <laughs> when there's no longer a political dialogue or argument. When yeah. passions die and we're just sort of moving along. Um, Ta talking about Satanism is Americanism. Uh, uh, Peter, you know, the maestro, uh, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Gilmore, uh, you know, wrote, it, he described in uh, the Satanic Scriptures a neo-Darwinian arena of ideas which is a totally satanic idea, but really is similar to the First Amendment, if you think about it, because the First Amendment is really this encouragement to have this robust debate and this free uh, exchange of ideas that, that really, you know, they saw as integral to the health of the Republic. Like, we have to have this dialogue. We have to, we have to really talk about it. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a call for direct democracy or anything. I think that's that's a misconception that America was designed to be a democracy at all. I don't think so at all. There's actually, if you look at like what's written by the framers and everything, not democracy. They're not pro-democracy people at all. <laughs> well, right. I mean, that's why we have you know the different forms of government is is so that the people did not have direct influence over the running of the government. They had to go through representatives. And that's yeah. why we have a representative democracy, not a, a you know straight up democracy. And that's when people argue about um, our election processes. Um, you know, th there's a reason why we don't have just public acceptance because, you know, as a government, as our system of government was set up, we're supposed to be protecting the minority from the majority in certain instances. And so, if we had just carte blanche democracy, the minority would be fucked. <laughs> uh, to put it bluntly. Um, yes, that's an but I, let me let me uh, sort of read the last little bit here because I I think it's fantastic and uh, well I mean it's it's you know Anton Lavey's words and those are always uh, very they ring a special chord in me at least. I think back just five short years ago when I formally founded the church, how many theologians were admitting to their irrationality and inconsistencies of their religion? Practically none. And once the stern, unyielding Christian churches have admitted their error, they might as well admit to defeat. It is in young people such as yourself, proud walkers of the left-hand path, whom I place my faith for the future of this our fair land. America shall indeed have a bright future, once she has weathered the storm, for those two opposing factions who respectively hate and love her, but would see her torn asunder in order to prove their respective points. Love for one's country must be shown in much the same way as love for another person. We must be able to see her faults and work towards changing them without robbing her of all pride and dignity in the process. On the other hand, 
we must not blindly accept her faults and constantly make excuses for her, for that is not love, it is infatuation. Well said. Psst. Hey, hey. Hey, come here. Psst. What? Huh? Me? Do I know you? Hey, you're a religious man, aren't you? No more than anyone else? Listen. Listen, I got a secret. It's, it's been eating me up, and I got to share it with someone. Get the fuck out of here, kid. I don't know you. No, listen, man. It's about you. It's about your life. You're about to have what, what alcoholics refer to as your moment of clarity. What are you talking about? Are you okay, son? Sins are indisposable to every society organized on an ecclesiastical basis. They are only reliable weapons of power. The priest lives upon sins. It's, it's necessary to him that there be sinning. Who the fuck are you, kid? I'm your infernal informant. Alright, so this is a USA Today article, Assange, No Stopping Publication of NSA Documents by Kelly Kennedy, and this was published on the 30th of June. Hey, wait a second, that's today. Alright, so, um, this article, and, and what I've done in the past is just read the article uh, beginning to finish, uh, beginning to end, and just sort of talked about it. In this case, if you've been paying any attention to politics, then you know about this. And uh, just USA um, News, you should know about this. So this article is talking about um, how Julian Assange, and you'll remember he is the founder of WikiLeaks, uh, who has released a number of supposed secret uh, American documents, uh, government and military documents. And not just American, but other nations as well. They're, they're sort of like um, the looking glass into the behind-the-scenes activity of, of governments uh, and militaries. And I'm, I'm kind of... Uh, I'm wish-washy on how I feel about them particularly. But he's speaking uh, to uh, Edward Snowden, who uh, was recently... Uh, leaked information about the NSA spying on other countries, diplomats, and our own country's citizens. Uh, in the Damn name... It. I mean, Adam, I, now I can't do on an Asian provocateur. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I said, now I can't do Snowden on Asian provocateur. I can, uh, we can adjust it. I mean, just... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's actually a huge... Um... A huge conversation too so we're not gonna be touching all the fine points so if you know if you want to give a, a take on it I think that would be a fantastic show to be quite honest uh, because it, it covers it's so broad I mean the the event of that that sort of video that was released of Edward Snowden saying um, talking about uh, his position and the releasing of these documents of uh, the NSA spying on us and the conversation that it opens now I don't know about you but I've always I've always assumed that I was being watched, and it could be the narcissist in me, it could be the conspirator uh, in me, but after the Patriot Act was released, I just assumed that they yeah, were watching no, everyone. Yeah, seriously. I always, I mean, look, you know, the way technology is right now, like, ev everything you do, if you log into a GPS, if you make a financial transaction with your credit card, just assume that it's all being tallied and that somewhere, somehow, someone in the position of power, if they really were motivated to, could access that information. I've always assumed that to be true, too. So the fact that this is a big surprise to everybody is beyond me. Just, again, it just kind of harkens to this ignorance of people, right? But, I mean, is it that? 
um, because that's one way I see it. But I also see it in this sort of mock outrage because you you see this being played out in political parties very powerfully where you have um, the Republicans sort of outraged that, that they're being watched. But at the same time, they started the process with their president. They approved the process. They were informed of the process as it started of spying on American citizens in, in the name of um, protection versus terrorist threats. Yeah. They were well, willing to sacrifice it. What's that? I think they're just being opportunists. I mean, if they, yeah. if they, this could be an instance in which they could point out how Obama fucked up. It'll give them a leg on the next election. That's true. And, and, and so that's <laughs> kind of, you know, on one side I'm like, well, you know, Americans are either ignorant or just stupid, or they're just playing it to their political advantage. And when it comes to politics, that's the safe bet. <laughs> like, they're just yeah. playing it to their political advantage. I, I've always said that if, if a politician opens their mouth, assume you're about to hear bullshit. That's just a good <laughs> rule of thumb. Just as yeah. soon as their mouth is open, just you should just immediately assume bullshit. <laughs> and then from there, you can pick it. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a, a really good way. To, and it, it also forces you to see things in a different way. So for us, we like to, um, us Satanists, we, we like to look at things through our sort of third perspective. We like to see how it's delivered, um, see how it's received by the average person, and then take a step to the side and look at it and see what the real implications are and what the real message is. Um, and when it comes to spying, you know, it, it's being stated flat out that, one, it was informed, everyone knew about it, and no one complained about it, and they've thwarted terrorist attacks because of it. And so the releasing of these documents, why, why do they care? Like, like, if we're going into the dialogue as in we've told everyone about this, and they all know about it, and we've stopped terrorist attacks for it. Why do they care if the public knows about it? Ah, see, isn't that the interesting part, though, Adam? Like, because the thing is, like, people like us, we just assume this was all going on anyway. But the reaction from the government is more interesting than the actual information itself, I think. Because he's, yeah. he's being charged under the Espionage Act. Uh, the Espionage Act is an interpretation of the First Amendment that goes all the way back to Schenck versus the United States of America. And that's where the, uh, the, the Supreme Court at the time ruled what, what the, they set the precedent for the clear and present danger rule. The clear and present danger rule is where we get the metaphor of shouting fire in a crowded theater. They, the, the, uh, one who, the, the justice who wrote the, uh, the, the decision on that, uh, he's the one who who talked about that theater metaphor. Um, and now that's like just part of our normal uh, uh, patois, you know, like <laughs> we just bring that up now yeah. as like a, as a, as a symbol or a metaphor. But, um, but that's what he's being charged under. Um, so he's being treated as if he committed a seditious act and, and is threatening uh, the security of the country. No, I, I guess if you're a foreign dignitary, you may not know that your um, uh, that your offices were bugged, and so that could affect diplomatic relations. You know, so the, you know, your embassy, for example, that of course would be a pretty big concern. Um, but I, I cannot believe that we live in a world where every 
country doesn't think that they're spying on every other country. <laughs> like, like we had, I, I, I've always lived under this assumption and I've been living for a number of years here more than the one that this has been out. So why is this such a big shock to everyone? And especially when you have someone like, like Russia and Germany, at, you know, feigning indignation, like how could you possibly like, come on, <laughs> you're Russia and Germany. Come on. <laughs> if anyone has ever spied, you two motherfuckers. Yes. Well, that's it. I mean, that's the thing. Is I think the bigger rub of it, though, is that it's, it's what he exposed uh, the average uh, person being uh, uh, being surveilled on. Is, is really was the bigger question. I mean, yeah, as far as... I, I think that the average person in the United States just assumed that they'd be using all sorts of technology to to spy on other countries, but I don't know if the average person expected it to be used against them. Uh, I mean, you know, we live in a, a world where Facebook collects and stores all... You know, we have these corporations, these these global corporations that collect our information and and freely either hand it out or they sell it to other corporations. And this is known and admitted, and that's why there's privacy policies and protection notices that you have to sign and approve before you interact with these corporations, um, you know, programs or, or, or um, offices. So there's always, you know, that sort of uh, TV 60-minute type show where they say, um, you know, come into our office and we're going to give you a, a, a palm reading. And all they're doing is getting your name and looking at your information on Facebook and telling you everything about yourself. And so you're thinking that they're all mystical and wise and they've tapped into some archaic uh, ether of knowledge, but really they're just looking at your freaking Facebook page. And so if that type of information is already out there, if you're okay with releasing that information and have been for a number of years, you know, we're talking like five or six years that Facebook has been ridiculously popular. Um, why is it a concern for you, or why should it be a concern for you if the government's doing it? Well, I think it isn't the question, is this, is this a violation of the Fourth Amendment? Is, is this an invasion of privacy? I think that's kind of the bigger question. Because you didn't opt into the government doing it. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's one thing to click, like, I agree to these terms box, and yeah. then you move forward into your porn site um <laughs> but it's another thing to to just have the government knowing all sorts of things that you never consented to um i do like that idea that that the government is able to read everything and and know everything about you but does anyone ever factor in like the man hour aspect of it like if if there was a person from the government reading everything you've ever done times every person in the country do you think that that's reality? Like, do you think that's even freaking possible in our lifetime? Because I, I, I don't. I think it's an impossibility. And so there's this sort of dialogue that they're not reading it. They're storing it on the off chance that you may become a terrorist later. Like, like that's sort of the theme that's going, right? It's, it's, it's that we're not charging. We're not reading anything. We're just sort of storing data and we'll mine it later if it's applicable. It's, it's sort of that innate fear in us that maybe because we're American, maybe because we come from the, the culture that we do or we've integrated into the culture that we are and that we don't trust uh, powerful uh, bodies of control, that, that sort of um, questioning side of Americanism that, that feeds this fear of ours. 
That's a, this is why I don't have a problem with what Snowden did, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I mean, he just exposed what I think is was assumed to be true. Um, but the way he's being treated, like I said, the way he's being treated as sort of a traitor, as a seditious person, um, is very interesting. I think that they would have preferred this to not be confirmed as public knowledge. Yeah. Um, but they're sort of, again, uh, obfuscating the... The, the national interest versus uh, special interest and public interest. These things always get mixed up, and that's how propaganda works, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I, I really am, am entirely fine with what he did, and it was no surprise to me. Um, and I think that if anything, the United States government, if, if they pursue it, to the degree that they're going to do, they're actually, in a, in a roundabout way, illustrating to the rest of the world the suspicions of what these documents prove. Yeah. Um, so, I on a tactical level, I think it's kind of stupid <laughs> to go after this guy and make it a big deal. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're contacting countries where he may end up and, you know, holding off um, trade deals and um, uh, threatening these leaders saying uh, if you accept this person then we will not do this or we will do this I yeah. mean, they're and, and really imagine, going... imagine if the reaction from the government was like yeah yeah we did that stuff <laughs> yeah seriously like we thought you all knew because you passed the Patriot Act and no one complained except for Adam in Germany but other than that no one cared yeah, exactly. If, if the reaction would have been like, yeah, we've been doing this. You remember the Patriot Act? It's all good, right? Everyone would have been like, oh, yeah, okay, no big deal. We move on. But the fact that they're treating him like public enemy number one is, is really just, it's, it's they're, they're sort of just themselves to be guilty in a lot of ways. There, there is actually another conversation about uh, secret information and... Um, uh, just state secrets in general and why they're secrets and why they're classified and, and shouldn't be released that I would love to have at some point, but it's, it's not in the context of this show. And maybe you can just address the, the concept of or the, the, the theme of it in a, another agent provocateur. So yes. we'll leave that to that. The moral of the story is if your secret gets exposed, just don't up to it. <laughs> Just be cool, man. Don't freak out. <laughs> exactly. Your wife, you know, is like, hey, what? you've been hanging out with that one girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's cool. She's cool. She wants, <laughs> she's to, see right. she wants to see your boobies. Is that, is that all right? Is that? I, you know, I thought you and the, you and her could meet and, you know, something interesting <laughs> could <those> happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's, let's move to the next one here. And this is going to less government more military conversation here and this is actually from the Playblow chieftain everyone knows the Playblow chieftain <laughs> wait what Playblow chieftain where are we at <laughs> yeah. so i'm going to go to the article new brigade in, Ken in kentucky not spared and this is uh, actually posted on uh, by by dylan uh, lovan and Kristen m hall by the associated press on the 29th uh yesterday in Louisville, Kentucky. So I did my first duty station, my first official duty station out of uh, training was Kentucky, Fort Knox. So I have a, a, a really happy feeling in my gut about Kentucky and about Fort Knox. 
I had a lot of fun there, and the the station itself is fantastic. I mean, you know that everyone knows it as the gold at Fort Knox, even though that's all a freaking lie. But you know, oh, there there's is no that. gold there. That's, that's well, there's a, a fort there, and there's tanks guarding it. But how much of a domestic threat is there that you need tanks to guard? <laughs> and you know, it, it's just everyone knows that um, corporations own all of our money. So to you know to believe that there's this gold mine in you know just this stockpile of gold in Fort Knox is laughable. <laughs> I mean, as a country, we started in debt. We, thank you, Hamilton. We had to have uh, in order to have a thriving economy. It it all operates off of debt. I mean, you have to owe people to have your money worth something, and so that debt is is what qualifies your you know financial uh stability so you know in in your repayment of said debt so you know that's sort of how we started and and to think that we somehow are a zero debt nation i mean or that we could ever be is ridiculous well clinton did do it though well there's a difference between um between having no debt and having a surplus because we still had a national debt, he was just paying it down. Oh yeah, yeah. He 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 eliminated the deficit for a year or two. Yeah. So so that's the difference, and and that I don't think people understand that that we have never been as a country without debt, and that we needed it for legitimacy, and that you know we we sort of live in as a civilian day to day basis, thriving off of it, and you know as an individual, it's encouraged that you don't have any debt. Maybe not by society, but individually, you you should be able to live off of what you make and not be indebted to someone else or some other corporation. But as a country, as a government entity, as an just as a corporation or any business at all, you can't operate unless you have debt. It's it's an, an essential to our economy. Hmm. That's an interesting argument. I don't know. Not everyone would agree with you on that one. <laughs> and I would argue that that not everyone is looking at it. Um, uh, I mean, you cannot have growth. You cannot sustain without having some form of debt. So so there is this ideal that we would love. I don't even know why we're talking about this. I, I started talking about the gold of Fort Knox. But there is this ideal <laughs> that, that we would, you know, never have any debt. And that makes us strong. But, I mean, that's part of how we make allies. Like, that's part of how we have these backroom deals of support is that we owe you this much. If you want to see us pay it, then you need to back our play. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is how the world functions, and no one has ever been without debt unless you're like a Native American Indian living in the plains of, I don't know, Wisconsin before the colonials came. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, since that time, man, everyone has owed someone something. That's true, but the extent to which we owe is so tremendous, and I think that this article is kind of interesting too because it just kind of shouts to the, the the issue of at some point does the amount of debt we have get to a place where we have to downsize so much of our infrastructure? Yeah. And then if we do, what's left after that? So um, thank you for getting me back on track. <laughs> <laughs> so the article speaks to um, the idea that uh, Kentucky, Fort Knox specifically, is eliminating approximately 43% of all of its active duty force. Now that is huge, huge drawdowns in one base itself now this is actually happening a a drawdown of all 
of military bases. And what they're doing is going to a pre-9-11 force. So if you remember, um, when 9-11 happened, people started uh, joining the military in droves so that they could go help defend America and fight the terrorists. Well, that means that we have this bloated uh, military force and it takes an insane amount of civilian employees, uh, military employees, and soldiers in order to operate at that level. And so, um, you know, we, we recently had a, a bunch of spending cuts uh, to our budget. Um, and that's being reflected now in the drawdown of these forces. So do you think that we should keep a military force uh, sort of huge and inflated at all times, a sort of military industrial complex? Well, what's interesting about the article, once I took a look at it, was um, the fact that what it was lamenting was the loss of jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting to me that it creates a crisis because it really shows how little there is in the private sector for people. Uh, they're becoming increasingly dependent on the government for jobs. Um, and, you know, in this case, you know, a bunch of people are about to lose jobs. All this is going to be slashed down. And, uh, you know, as far as like whether or not it's justified or a smart idea, you know, to me, it, it kind of like the way you describe the tanks that are guarding nothing. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I question how much we need to maintain a large force in a place like Kentucky, where there's clearly, you know, it's not beset upon on every side by invaders or anything. But at the same time, I don't know that we're downsizing the amount of military in other places. So that's an interesting dynamic. Uh, we absolutely um, are. I mean, the entire active duty force and this of course affects the civilian uh, support force is being drawn down mm -hmm. um, and so like I said you know we're, we're not it's not like we're going from operational to zero I mean we are going back to the way we were before 9-11 as far mm -hmm. as troop levels go and, and we were quite capable at that time and so there is part of me that says you know we we need to maintain an operational uh, defense, but we are. The fact right. that we're drawing... It, it's sort of that old argument that when we're going through these... Sorry, did you just hear me burp? When we're going through these um, tax uh, corrections a, a few years ago, you know, we were continually re-upping this, when it was uh, on set, temporary tax decrease to help burst through this post 9-11 economy slump that we were in uh, set upon by George Bush. It was supposed to be a temporary fix to uh, war to help uh, you know, increase taxes and, and let people keep a little bit more of their money so that they could spend it on the economy and obviously build our economy up again. But once those started to uh, get close to ending, people started reframing it from saying, well, these are temporary tax decreases going back to normal to tax increases. And that was the, the argument that was happening. Well, this isn't a military drawdown. This is a return to previous levels. Mm -hmm. You know, to, we no longer are, I mean, okay, let's be honest. We are at war uh, on multiple fronts at the moment. I mean, we have soldiers in very, very many countries right now, known and unknown. So it's not like we're not at war, but we're not at Iraq uh, 
infiltration levels of war. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why they just don't need it. That, and the evolution of our fighting tactics. You know, we don't need tanks like we used to. We don't need um, uh, battleships like we used to. We have drones. We, we leave a lot of the ground warfare to remote-controlled warfare. So mm-hmm. we don't need the men on the ground and the women on the ground as much as we used to. Um, so going back to, to, you know, 9-11 levels is fine with me. The effects on the economy, you know, that, that in my opinion, speak more to the lack of corporations um, and, and uh, manufacturing in our country, uh, wanting to manufacture in our country. Yeah, that's, that's the interesting part of the article to me is the lament, the fact that... Uh... Uh, you know, what what people are are really upset about, as is sort of being talked about in the article, is that if these jobs are taken away, there's nothing in the private sector for them, because you know we've been signing all these free trade agreements that are shipping our jobs over to Mexico and other places where there's cheaper labor. So basically, working people in this are fucked if the government doesn't give them a job, and and people are scared of that. It's, it, it really, you know, United States has become like a service economy. We don't make anything. We just consume things and kind of service each other. But as far as like making cars or making electronics or making, or just manufacturing, yeah, that shit's all in Mexico now. <laughs> it is weird because, and, and you can see this more in the tech industry than any other, any other industry, is that we are consuming at an incredible rate. I mean, look at every single year you have countries coming out with new models of phone or tablet or whatever, and everyone has to have the newest one. Meanwhile, there's nothing wrong with the one you just had that's literally like less than a year old, but somehow it's like passe. It's not cool. You can't have it, even though there's nothing, literally nothing wrong with it. Um, we, We are trained to be consumers. It's weird because... Like I and I don't know if this, you know, th- th- this conversation turns a little bit too much to the idea of, of, of consumption as a, a negative, as a species. But when, as a parent, for example, when you're fighting on holidays, in in birthdays, in order to come up with something special, because like everyone just gets whatever they want because everything's so damn cheap. You know, I remember, let me sort of put this in context. I never got shit except for on holidays. (laughs) Like, growing up, it was my birthday or it was Christmas. Other than that, it had to be before school when I got maybe another pair of denim Levi's or something like that. Like, I never got shit. And so when it was a holiday, it was a huge deal to get something, you know, a toy or something. It was a big deal, and it was we would me and my friends as as a child would sit around catalogs and look at like G.I. Joe toys and Star Wars toys, saying, "Oh, that would be so cool to have! I would love to play with this or with that, or if I had this." We never played with the toy; we played with pictures of the toys. Like that's how <laughs> sad it was for me growing up. Nowadays, my son and my daughter, nothing is interesting because they have everything. Like, you know, everything that they would ever want is just right there. It's, and so it's just this challenge come in with something. So as, as a consuming society, are we headed down a path that's, one, sustainable and worthwhile without degrading our, our general sense of, of happiness and, and um, uh, that, that sort of notion of, of 
having something of worth when on its heels is something bigger and better and newer. Mm-hmm. Be, I mean, I think, I think that's a more important conversation in context of this article than the military drawdown. That idea that we are losing jobs because the government is no longer offering them, but that's because our corporations are outsourcing, and that's in turn informing our society to be this consumption-based entity that cannot find happiness unless we continue that cycle. Yeah, and it goes back to, you know, it goes back to the, the fears of the Founding Fathers, I think, because you can look at government and you can see a handful of industries that have an overwhelming influence over our government. Yeah, I mean, I can name them. So they, if you look at the executive branch, it's just all staffed by people who are board members of these various industries. And they're like pharmaceuticals, defense, media, um, oil, um, you know, just, you could, you, there's a few more, but like in general, it, there's like agribusiness too. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot out there. Insurance is a big one too. Yeah. So, so, you know, they're, they're in there for their own reasons and doing, you know, pushing policies that are going to help them in their industry. It's the point of view they come from also. So, so this, I think they have, there's, these industries have a, a lot of interest in making sure that the economy stays on track. The question is, how long can, can the citizenry sustain itself in these circumstances? Uh, is it, is it going to be a situation where we're going to deflate like England did when England became less of an empire? Because at that time, like say around like 60s and 70s, the entire English empire kind of deflated and then all of that deflated kicked the entire citizenry in the balls. I mean, like everyone was on the dole, nobody had a job. It was just destitute for a while, and I'd love to see America avert that sort of fate. Yeah, and, and you know, it may be a, a sad state of affairs because I'm not entirely sure we can. Like, I, unless we go back to ridiculously low wages, there's no economic uh, uh, incentive to do it. Or we just get some protectionist policies going here instead of these free trade agreements. I mean, that's another way of dealing with it. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think that's how China's succeeding, because China has this really centrally managed economy. Our economy is not centrally managed at all. Um, and, it, and it leads to a certain amount of disorganization and chaos, and everyone just kind of grabbing whatever they can grab. And at the end of the day, you know, in, in that sort of effort to grab short-term profits, there's no long-term plan. And but isn't that isn't that American, like at its core? I mean, certainly capitalism at its core, right? Uh, that's yeah, that's an argument. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> but you know, the the idealism of capitalism is something that's never really been achieved, just as the idealism of communism has never been achieved. Um, because in truth, we have a very state-managed economy, even if it's, it's at the same time owned, uh, you know, it is privately owned, it's still, we have a, a government that is always intervening in the, in the economy. It's always bailing people out or stopping things from happening. It's, it's, it's not in actuality a free market at all. 
It's just sort of something we like to tell ourselves. But that's kind of what communism and capitalism are, to me at least. To me, they're like religions. It's like what people evoke in, in order to, to push through some sort of agenda. It's the same thing people do with, with religion and God. They say, well, you know, I want to take I, I want to take so-and-so's land. Well, God told me that I can, so there yeah. it is. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, people, you know, the, the, uh, the people who negotiated the free trade agreement of the Americans, it's, it's like, okay, well, you know, uh, you know, I want to get cheaper labor down in Mexico. Well, we got to follow the ideals of capitalism and the ideals of capitalism say, you know, supply and demand will, will lead us there. So therefore we're going to do this. And that's kind of how it comes out. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do hope that you touch on a little bit of Israel in uh, Agent Provocateur in the future. Oh, that is <laughs> on the chopping block. You have no idea. Dude. Someone has got to revoke the free pass Zionism has gotten. <laughs> Seriously, and it's continually defended in every in every aspect. Um, Are you reminded of that because I just said God to take your land? <laughs> I was at, yeah, yeah, actually. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry, my mind, uh, it's, you can tell where it's going. Um, all right, well, let's, let's end the conversation there and let's move on to Creature Feature. Woo! I used to flip through one television station after another, disgusted by what was supposed to pass for comedy. Seeing all of those terrible, predictable comedians made me sad and it made me shake in my seat. I thought it was the early signs of restless leg syndrome combined with clinical depression. So I went to see my doctor. It turned out that I just needed to listen to better comedy. That's when my doctor recommended The Devil's Mischief on Radio Free Satan. The Devil's Mischief is a one-hour dosage of comedy and novelty that's made for you, not for the masses. After a decade of biased research, The Devil's Mischief has been clinically proven to be effective at inducing laughter and whimsical feelings in many listeners. I can finally laugh again. You don't need a prescription to listen to The Devil's Mischief. You don't even need to visit a pharmacy. That's because the devil's mischief is not a pill. It's not a syrup. It's not a spray, a cream, or even a suppository. It's a podcast. All I need is a connection to the internet. To learn all you need to know to listen to the devil's mischief, visit the official website, devilsmischief.com. Whether you like to listen to podcasts in your web browser, download an episode directly, or subscribe to podcasts with iTunes, the devil's mischief can help. Side effects may include side splitting, gut busting, knee slaps, and slapstick. Some listeners have reported being in stitches with gags or finding it to be a riot. Do not listen to The Devil's Mischief while drinking a beverage. Ask your doctor if The Devil's Mischief is right for you. Or don't. Why should you have to pay that stupid copay for a doctor's visit? Listen to The Devil's Mischief on RadioFreeSatan.com. What are we really talking about here? The Metro. What's the essence? Indulge yourself in that decadent decade of excess, the 1980s. All right. Listen to Radio Free Satan's very own program of music from the decade. That's going to be radical. With your host, Jay Nothing. What's he like, our boss? Or what? No, no, he's a supervisor. He's not here at night. The Metro on Radio Free Satan. Nah, get out of town. Just you and me and the stiffs alone here. An hour of new wave, post-punk, and other retro music from the 1980s. Yeah, okay, we can make stuff, we can read, coffee. This is great. I like it. Listen to The Metro, only on RadioFreeSatan.com. Good. It's set. See you tomorrow night. 
What's this show called? What do you mean, what is it called? You know, what's the name of the show? What, like the title? What, what's the title of the show? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, what's the big deal? What's the title of the show? Look, it should be good enough for you and for any of you other generation Y's or X's or W's or Z's or, or whatever fancy letter you're sitting on today to, to realize that it's not about what the title is. It's not about... When I was your kid, there's only one thing that we had growing up. When we wanted to watch a show, we just turned on the telly on Saturday mornings, and you know what we got? Do you know? Do you have any idea what we got? No, I have no idea. Why are you freaking out? Every single Saturday. And we didn't know what shows were, what, what titles were, or, or what... We had no choices on what to watch. We were stuck with the creature feature, and so are you. Alright, welcome to another Creature Feature. Today, I am talking with Darren about Man of Steel. And, uh, maybe a little Because I am a Man of Steel. Indeed. Well, I, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple girls, and they they can confirm this. Oh, good. I'm so glad you said that. I thought you were going to say they, they would disagree with you. <laughs> it's like they were wearing, uh, kryptonite around the neck. Is that the, what the... They called, they called you Man of Flaccidity. <laughs> Man of rubber, man of whiskey dick. Uh, no, okay. So, Man of Steel. This is the reboot, remake, reimagined. Is actually maybe even more accurate. Uh, movie of uh, Superman. Okay, so I a, a little context here for listeners. I grew up with Superman as my favorite superhero. Um, him and Slash Underdog. <laughs> Where my like my first coloring book was Superman. I rem I just I have vivid memories. Like I knew I was going to go down the path of an artist when I was coloring Superman coloring books. I mean, this is where I had my epiphany that this is what I was going to do with my life. And it's always been this idea of greatness in oneself, but I've I always tied it to greatness in humanity. And so I always missed that part of it where Superman is not human. He's an alien from another planet. And this movie brought that out more than anything I've ever seen about Superman in my life. Now, of course, the Christopher Reeves movies are iconic and everyone loves them. But for me, this movie reimagined Superman in a very very powerful way so it was directed mm. by Zack Snyder it was produced by Christopher Nolan he did the Batman remakes um, Charles Rowan oh, I'm sorry Rovin uh, Deborah Snyder uh, Emma Thomas and the music was composed by Hans Zimmer and the soundtrack to this is not that traditional Superman you hear in your head when you think of Superman I mean they did a really great job so if you can if you can disconnect yourself from the tradition of Superman you were raised with and just take open ears a fresh take on this Hans Zimmer did a truly amazing job with Hans the soundtrack Zimmer. yeah he's, he's he's quite the composer yeah did it's Hans, did Hans Zimmer do Star Wars I don't oh geez now you're calling me on yeah, my Star Wars trivia I don't <laughs> I don't think so I don't I'm gonna have to look that up I'm not entirely sure I'm gonna um <laughs> I'm a Star Wars fan too and I don't even fucking know yeah um I, but I I do love his work and uh, especially in this. But you have you have actors like uh, Henry Cavill playing Clark Kent who is not really known at all. 
um, and he did an amazing job. You have Amy Adams as Lois Lane, who did amazing. You have Russell Crowe, who is a shit piece of nothingness, but he did amazing as Jor-El. Like, he really, really pulled it through. The only movie of his I've ever really liked was Gladiator, and I didn't even like it that much the second time. So He plays Jor-El in this? Yeah. Is, does but, he have an Australian accent? Of course he does. <laughs> even... <laughs> Australian Even Jarell. Krypton has in Australia. Uh, no, he does a good job. Michael Shannon, from most uh, notably, I, I uh, know him from Boardwalk Empire. He does General Zod, and it's a different take on General Zod than you're familiar with, which is fantastic. Oh. Kevin Costner plays the adoptive father of uh, Clark Kent, and Kevin Costner has been in shit films for a long time, since I was a kid, shit films. This was a redeemer for him. He did an amazing job, and he was only in a couple scenes, but he did great in them. And maybe it wasn't so much his acting as it was the role he was playing, that actual caring parent that is trying to help their children, their child work through these emotions. What I loved about this movie, though, is that everyone knows the Superman mythos. I mean, whether you're a comic book fan or not, you... I can't imagine anyone saying, you know, tell me a Superman story and you don't know the traditional he crashed to Earth from outer space and he was raised by parents and he has a sort of fortress of solitude and ice and that's where he learned about his father and his real place. He's powered by the sun and he has these superpowers and whatever. Um, you should be able to name at least two of his superpowers, but he has a lot of them, surprisingly. Like, I didn't even realize he had so many until I started thinking about it. Um, but he is uh, Superman, iconic american hero like i was raised that way how about you you know i got a couple confessions to make right. um one i haven't seen the movie what no Wait, this I one have. or any of them no i've seen the ones the christopher reeve ones i okay. love superman too with I, I i you know this this is my second point too my second confession i'm not a superman kind of man when when uh superman 2 came out i liked the bad guys more than superman and I like the, you know, Zod and the mute guy and that chick who was really hot and was really badass. Uh, I really like them a lot. I'm, I have uh, my comic book palette kind of goes into the anti-hero place. Hmm. One of, like when I was a kid, the one, I don't know if you'd call him a superhero because he was kind of just a normal person. But the one comic book I loved was the Punisher. Oh, yeah. I loved the Punisher. And, and what I, I think part of the reason I liked the Punisher was because he was so realistic. He didn't have superpowers. He was just a guy. Very Batman-like. Yes, totally. He was, he, where the law failed, he was going to administer justice. And he was, you know, he had this, like, really traumatic, interesting background, being, you know, a veteran who, like, went through, uh, you know, a decorated veteran who was, like, a, a combat expert and you know, then sees, like, his family get gunned down and decides to take care of justice himself and, and does it skillfully. And it, there was something about his character that, to me, had a resonance with me. I'm not sure what it is. But, you know, and also he was kind of like the DC sniper before there was a DC sniper, if you think about it. <laughs> he lived out of a I'm van and was just going around. What's that? I'm not even familiar with DC sniper. Oh, the, you know, the DC sniper when that guy was, like, shooting people. The criminal. The, in real not the comic book character. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were still in comics. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know about the DC sniper as a 
<laughs> in real life, like, yeah, when, when the DC sniper was happening and that was exposed, he was, like, doing it out of his van and everything, I was like, this guy's trying to be the Punisher. <laughs> but I don't know if he was trying to finish. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, back back to the context of Superman, um, it, you know, whether whether you're a fan of Superman or not, what I like about these sort of re-imaginings uh, uh, that have come of late, uh, for example, Star Trek, um, um, Batman, is that they apply a modern sensibility to these myths that have been around and created since, you know, the 50s and before, where... Uh, you know, you could argue that that these uh, comics were bred out of a fear-based mentality, and that we were doomed to 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 death. Uh, this post World War II and uh, pre Cold War era, where suspicion and uh, what it means to be a human was always in question, because um, you were literally at the mercy of a button being pushed, and you're suddenly killed. This particular movie reimagines everything that you thought about it and, and, and delivers it in a context of what does it mean to be a human being versus being this alien. I mean, they go to great lengths in this film, unlike the originals, to explain what Kryptonian life was actually like, what their culture was actually like. And they were sort of that, that matrix, that, that post-matrix era where people were bred like like an ant colony they were bred for specific positions to live and superman was the first natural birth in you know a couple generations and so his parents didn't want to see him obviously killed one but their planet was dying and so they wanted to see the first natural birth live and their species to continue elsewhere and and that that concept sort of struck because it was this idea that um in, in my opinion, I, I applied it to, you know, reality as I often do with movies. So we're moving down this um, uh, global construct idea of, well, you are this. You are what you do. You are, you are born in this social status and you need to fulfill this particular role in your, in, in, your, in your culture, in your society, so that your particular economy can thrive and help benefit the greater world economy. And as a species, we can continue. As long as you fit inside the mold that we set for you, you know, it could even just be by class. You are lower class. You are middle class. You are upper class. You must adhere to the class that you were born into. As long as you continue this, we can progress as a society. And Superman, the, the reimagining man of steel movie that was just released, flies in the face of that, saying, no, it is not about the class that you're brought into. It's not about the, the continuation of one's species. It's about the will of the individual that champions above all else. It's about you not wanting to uh, um, jeopardize your own morals, and, and these morals may be learned or inherent, but the morals that you have within yourself, you do not want to sacrifice who, who you've learned that you are in order to get along with everyone else or in order to make the, the society thrive and continue. You know, Adam, could you, could you educate me here a little bit on Super? Why is he trying to protect the world? <laughs> I, I can tell you in in the context of this movie, I, I traditionally, because I'm not an aficionado on, on comic books and Superman, I believe he did it originally because um, 
like they they just sort of adopted him as as humans and so he just sort of saw himself as a human in this he very much they, they stressed that he wasn't a human and so he was actually forced with this idea of going back to and, and recreating krypton and his species propagating his species again or continuing and protecting humans and he chose humans and this is my interpretation because they had free will unlike his society where you were you were condemned to a role and condemned sounds like a negative word everyone in his culture was okay with it but um he was born out of free will he saw humans acting with free will and so he thought he would champion that um and so he even damned his own species in order to continue protecting it which is you know i thought was admirable hmm. if he was i could even see you know very much um put this on its head and, and just flip out words here he was born in christendom and he was raised in satanism and he realized that the the celebrating of the will which is a very satanic value was more important than everyone just being a sheep and knowing your place as in christendom and following your god and doing what he says he says you should do is very much celebrating the individual you know this movie and it's very and okay so aside from the themes of the movie and the music was fantastic which i've already spoken to briefly there if you are a fan of action and slash carnage there is more destruction in this, the, the, like, the last 20 minutes of this film than any movie I've ever seen in my life. I mean, for a dude protecting the species, he... he I don't know, did you see the Avengers movie? No, I'm really bad with movies, I gotta be it's honest. The, the, I mean, there was, like, this, you know, alien invasion, and they destroyed a whole city and stuff. In Superman, they destroy a lot more than that. I mean, it is ridiculous, the carnage that ensues with this final battle. More but, more carnage than the Passion of the Christ? <laughs> yes, much more. Much, much more. Not as bloody, though. Um, <laughs> actually, I like that movie. I don't know. I, I like the mythos. I, li I think it's fun. I like seeing someone getting his ass beat. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. Um... But you, you actually feel for, like, General Zod in this movie. Like, you realize that he is just... He's just trying to do what he was born to do, and that's protect his species. It's really weird. You're, you're sort of forced into this different view of the mythos that you were raised with. It's kind of cool. Did the actor do it justice? Because the original General Zod was... He was excellent as General Zod. <laughs> he was. He absolutely was. And this one is much more militaristic. He is much more, I've got a purpose and I must fulfill it for the betterment of my people. Damn the consequences. Emotion devoid. It's not really about vengeance or anything. Um, Michael Shannon, the actor who played General Zod, I, I, I loved him in Boardwalk Empire, but this really proved that he was a real actor. I mean, he was awesome. He, His emotions in this really span the gamut. And there's a sort of great moment with the aliens that come to Earth from Kryptonian or Krypton Krypton <laughs> Oops. that Kryptonia. they, they like have to adjust true. to the gravity of our planet and they have to adjust to the uh, sensations that they experience because they're all heightened from the power of our sun. You know, they were they were all raised in like a, a, a brown dwarf of a star, you know, this dying star. And uh, so the strength of our sun somehow, I don't know, they don't really go to explain it, gives them immense power. Um, the, the gravity, they explain that the gravity of our planet is much weaker than theirs, so that's why they can jump and fly and stuff with enough 
um, concentration or something. I don't know. They didn't fully make it make sense, but that was kind of their rationale. Um, but that sort of that, that moment of confusion where they can see through people, they can you know shoot lasers out of their eyes. Their superpowers, as it were, flying and, and superpower and stuff, strength. It's there's this sort of adaptive moment, which is kind of cool. Um, doesn't make logical sense, so don't go into this expecting logic. Go into it expecting fun, and you will you will definitely enjoy it. Uh, it for the purists out there, you probably are not going to like it, but you should probably see it anyway, just because this is the vein of superhero movies. And if you're not on board, then you're not going to be very happy for the movie-going experience. If You know, hey, if you're going to do something like Superman, something that's a traditional character... I like the idea of making it contemporary and applying it to what's going on today. Yeah. It definitely puts a new spin on things. But I gotta say, I, I hope somebody in Hollywood hears this. We need some new ideas, Hollywood. This is getting ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. How many times are you gonna do Superman? How many times are you gonna do the Hulk? How many times are you gonna do the Avengers or Batman? Like, come on, come on, people. Chop, chop. We need some new superheroes. <laughs> Seriously. Hey, because you're a Punisher fan, what did you think of the last Punisher that came out with the dude that played in Rome? Uh, wait, was that, wait, the only one Warzone I saw... was Warzone or something. The only one I saw, I think, was with Dolph Lundgren. Oh, okay, that was the first one, yeah. Yeah. See, I'd rather retain what the Punisher was in that comics in my mind. I, I just, you know, for me, it's like a lot of people who are fans of fiction who then go see a version of it in film, and it's never the same. Yeah. The original Punisher comics are so brutal and graphic and intense that I, I, you know, once I saw the Dolph Lundgren thing, I was just like, oh, God, this is a <laughs> paltry version. Like, you know, if the Punisher ran into that guy, like a samurai sword and decapitated him, he yeah. wouldn't have, like, you know, <laughs> done what Dolph Lundgren did. So, yeah. like, you know, I, I, I want to I keep that because I still have all of the original series of Punishers are probably worth a lot of money. Wow. But, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, you know, I, I'm not really. I don't want to taint it too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, if memory serves, it was a pretty graphic movie. So, if if you're ever bored on a Saturday and you have Netflix or something like that, you may want to check it out. I think it's Warzone or something, but it was pretty good. Like, if memory serves, it was pretty good. I did always appreciate. I had a buddy who was big into Punisher, and I, I never really understood him like as as a as a character, but the movie, not the Dolph Rundgren one, but the, the Warzone one, I really did enjoy. So uh, maybe check it out. All right. But yeah, I mean, for this uh, for this creature feature, that's gonna do it, and that's gonna do it for another show. <laughs> I'm so sad. <laughs> it's so fast. We've only been going for an hour and a half. <laughs> I know. I'm only halfway through my second beer. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Maybe we'll do a little bit of post here in a second. Let me let me wrap up the show proper um i would love to hear from you guys and i do appreciate any correspondence i get and actually i've gotten a flood of it recently so thank you all for for sending uh, any word good bad whatever uh visit the website nine centspodcast.com i recently put contact pages on there i recently put uh each new segment like agent provocateur like down to the crossroads and like um uh, militant eroticism i've got a, a show with their facebook feed on it and a little bit about the show itself and if you want to isolate and just listen to that segment instead of my traditional show i have their segments isolated on those pages as well so check that out at 9centspodcast.com 
Send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com and let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, and Spotify, even YouTube. So look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. I appreciate the ratings I've gotten, and I've actually got one more comment since last time, so thank you very much. I have no idea who sent them, but continue to do so, people. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, this is important. Visit churchofsatan.com and do yourself a damned favor. Read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. Stop with the stupid fucking questions. It's all answered if you just read the two important books serious right i mean it's insane uh, yeah knock it off people we need some new questions <laughs> if you would like to hear more uh or hear other fine satanic voices check out radiofreesatan.com the source for online satanic media once again thank you for joining me and as always i'm your host adam campbell and co-host darren deicide yeah until next week hail satan hail satan and hail america happy birthday america happy birthday to you. <laughs> bomb them <laughs>